So the Bank of England, the Fed, the Bank of Japan and the central banks of Switzerland, Sweden and Norway. It is a busy week for central bank decision making this week and we can expect some very mixed decisions as well. So does that mean that we're going to see the markets in a bit of disarray? That's the key topic for today. Plus also a quick look at the China data from Friday and back on central banks. Day one for Michelle Bullock as the governor of the RBA. Will much change? It's Monday, the 18th of September, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a small fall in the US dollar at the end of the week, up just 0.2% actually over the whole week last week, whereas the Aussie dollar, also down a bit on Friday, was up 0.8% over the week, finishing at 64.3 US cents. The euro climbed on Friday but fell 0.4% over the week, and Friday was a slightly grim day for US stocks, uh, but they've had a few of them lately, haven't they? The Nasdaq lost 1.6% on the day, but less than uh, 0.4% over the week. The Dow managed a slight gain over the week, uh, just over 0.1% up. The S&P was down almost 0.2% last week, in part because of a 1.2% drop on Friday. But European shares up on Friday and up on the week. The Eurostox 50 gained 1.4% last week, for example. And bond yields well up on uh, 10 years on Friday, uh, up 8 basis points uh, in Germany and the UK, up 10 in France, 12 in Italy. Uh, US 10-year Treasury yields up 5 to 4.33%. The bulk of those gains in yields just about everywhere happened at the end of the week. And oil Pushing higher, Brent got up to 94.60 on Friday, up 13% since August 23 at levels we've really not seen since last November. The same story for WTI, with a rise of 0.7% on Friday alone, uh, so up to 90.77 a barrel. So in a nutshell... Higher oil prices, higher bond yields, stocks struggling in the States. The US dollar growth has slowed a bit. So what now? Uh, NAB's Tapper Strickland uh, helps us kick off the week on the morning call, a week that, of course, that includes, as I've said, the FOMC, the Bank of England, amongst others. So stand by your beds for the central banks. But I'm looking at the data on Friday and I can see, you know, we had some positive data coming out of China, in particular retail sales, but that wouldn't be impacting bond yields as much as we've seen in Europe, I wouldn't have thought. So what was driving the markets on Friday? Hey, good morning, Phil. The moves on Friday, particularly in terms of yields, it looks like it was mostly driven by a hawkish ECB sources report out of the FT. And uh, if you recall the ECB meeting on Thursday, there was a lot of talk about whether this was the final hike from the ECB. And if, if you recall, the post-meeting statement had this one key line saying key ECB interest rates have reached levels that maintained for a sufficiently long duration will make a substantial contribution to the timely return of inflation to our target. Now, that FT uh, ECB sources report really pushed back on that. And it said three people involved in the monetary policy meeting told the FT that if Eurozone inflation were higher than forecast, the door was still open to raising rates again when the central bank updates its projections in December. So the underlying message is, uh, I think right around the world, central banks are hopeful that they've done enough. Uh, And that kind of hope is definitely coming from the ECB, coming from our own RBA. But at the same time, the data can continues to, to, to surprise. And uh, at least within the ECB, opinion is still very divided about whether they actually still need to continue to lift rates or, or not. So a little bit of reversal from the moves we did see on uh, Thursday. So you've seen European yields up uh, by around six basis points following that that news. And it also seemed to lift uh, US Treasury yields higher in, in the wake as well. Well, because, is it because people are expecting the same in the US? Because we are seeing a lot, lot of resilience there, aren't we? So for example,
available on Friday. A uh, higher than expected rise in industrial production in August. The growth in manufacturing is still pretty slow, but capacity utilisation has picked up. So presumably that means there's more demand for goods. So, And we've also seen a, a rise in prices for uh, imports and exports as well. Uh, so that resilience, I mean, it's good, but is it too good is the question. And uh, what does that mean for the Fed? The US economy still remains very resilient. That industrial production beat there is one um, aspect of that. Although it's just worth noting there were also some downward revisions to the prime month as well. Um, and as well as that, the US Empire Manufacturing, which is a very second tier manufacturing survey, um, that was better than expected at 1.9 versus minus 10 expected. And just within the manufacturing sector as well, you're starting to see a few anecdotes uh, and a few data that suggests maybe a little bit of recovery is occurring in there. And within that survey, the uh, index for future business conditions rose six points to 26.3, its highest level in more than a year. Then you look at the wider US ISM manufacturing, and there's an index in there that I call a US recession indicator, um, which is new orders, less inventories. And that's actually been lifting over the past uh, four or six months or so. So that does suggest maybe a little bit of recovery coming through the US manufacturing sector. Um, overwhelmingly, um, some of the all the supply chain kind of issues around inflation, that seems to be um, coming off. And so that's leading to lower uh, inflation prints. But the conditions, the economic activity in the economy still remain relatively strong. You've got a tight labor market. So the potential for demand-led um, inflation is very much uh, alive there. And at least for the FOMC meeting on Wednesday, uh, we expect them to be on hold as the market does as well. But we still expect the median dot to show uh, a hike by the end of the year. And indeed, there was one survey in the FT that uh, has, I think, 40% of analysts suggesting the uh, FOMC could lift uh, rates two, two more times. So I don't, I don't think necessarily we're done in terms of the rate hike profile. We're really um, on the uh, on the activity side now. Is activity uh, so strong that um, the demand conditions for inflation is going to be more prevalent yeah. here? Yeah, and, and hence, that, so hence that, that, that call for two mm. or more. That's 40% we're saying two or yeah. more uh, rate rises by the Fed, which would take it to a 22-year high. Yeah, and then, but on the positive side, we did get some uh, interesting data from the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, and that uh, saw a fall in uh, both short-run and long-run inflation expectations. And importantly, the long-run inflation expectation um, uh, fell to 2.7% from 3%, which would be the second time it's fallen beneath that kind of 29 to 3.1% range over the past 26 months or so. So some encouraging signs, I guess, in terms of inflation expectations, but just given how strong activity is um, and how tight the labor market is, the potential for uh, inflation to be more enduring uh, still remains to be seen. And then you add on the overlay of oil prices at the moment, and mm. uh, you'd have to say the risk on, on inflation is remains a little bit more sticky. Yeah. Well, we had the import and export prices on Friday as well. Should we be concerned about those? So export prices month on month up 1.3% from a revised half percent up of the month before. Import prices up half a percent from a revised 0.1% up before. Both of those months uh, quite a bit higher than expected. Yeah, I don't necessarily think we should be too concerned around those. And some of it is driven by the volatility that we're seeing in um, oil. Um, what 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 we do know is um, obviously oil, oil prices have increased quite quite a lot. And uh, for central banks that usually assume um, a constant commodity price assumption, um, that's going to be presenting upside risk to the headline inflation forecast. And then if firms believe they do have pricing power still, then you may get shorter transmission from higher energy prices to other parts of the core inflation basket as well. Yeah, exactly. And then what about the, the car makers strike? Because that is a real thing now, the UAW strike. Uh, talks don't seem to be going anywhere over the weekend. So car makers are now laying people off 
Uh, the winner's probably Tesla, isn't it, in all of this? Uh, in fact, its shares rose 10.5% last week against 3% for General Motors. But is this a good or a bad thing for inflation? Oh, I think it's going to be relatively short, short-lived. short At the margin, you'd probably say it probably adds to that kind of notion of some kind of um, shortage in motor vehicles and maybe a little bit more supportive for, for prices. But I don't necessarily think it'll have a, a large enduring impact. And you look at the equity markets, you look at the prices for those large US car manufacturers, they haven't moved by all that much. Right. Okay, and I started by mentioning China and whether that was, uh, you know, whether confidence in China had any impact on the markets. You're saying not, but I mean, they were a fairly good set of numbers, weren't they, uh, at the end of last week? Oh, yes. And why say they didn't have a large impact on bond markets? They certainly did have an impact on equity markets. So you look at the ASX 200, I think it closed up 1.3%. So pretty hefty gains for the miners, particularly the iron ore miners. And it's just worth noting, commodity prices have been relatively resilient compared to all the doom and gloom that's been said around China. So a lot of people have been asking, do commodity markets, are they expecting something or are they pricing something that other people aren't seeing? And at least it does suggest um, some of the measures that China has taken so far is starting to stabilise the economy here. Um, and you did see industrial production up 4.5% year on year in August and retail was up 4.6% year, year on year. So some tentative signs that some stabilisation is starting to occur in China and that would be broadly supportive, um, both for commodity prices, but also for the Australian dollar as well. Right. So, look, there's so many central banks this week, aren't there? Not just the Fed and the Bank of England uh, have already sort of like listed off those that we've got, but of course, the Bank of Japan as well. So, I mean, uh, after the rhetoric of a week or so ago, are they, uh, can they stay where they are? Uh, I think so. Um, and indeed, there was that um, leaked article on Friday that was pushing back on some of the market interpretation with the interview of the Bank of Japan governor um, earlier in the week. And you did see yen depreciate on the back of that as well. So I think the Bank of Japan is, is, is on hold. Um, you probably have to wait until for the next meeting until you get a little bit more, more movement. Right. And today is day one from Michelle Bullock as the uh, as the new head of the RBA. We also get the uh, the minutes for the September uh, meeting tomorrow as well, uh, which we can talk about a bit tomorrow, I think. Uh, we've got to leave something to talk about with Sky tomorrow morning. But uh, your take on Michelle Bullock, are we going to see much of a difference in the approach from the RBA? Oh, I don't think we'll see too much more of an approach. She's very uh, deeply steeped at Diabe having uh, worked there for, uh, for a fairly long period of time. But I think the underlying message still remains is the RBA hopes that it's done in terms of its fight against inflation. But the data in Australia, like it is offshore, is being relatively resilient. You've had some very strong labour market data, uh, resilient retail sales, uh, and it also just the risk on inflation towards the upside. Um, so uh, at NAB, we still think the RBA is not done yet and that they'll hike one more time by November. And you'd have to just say if the Fed is going to go again uh, by the end of the year, um, if the risk is that the ECB goes again by December and the Bank of England looks like a more likely hike this week, you'd have to say the risk on the RBA is perhaps they have to go by more than one. Yeah, it's not over yet, is it? That's for sure. Uh, so today, uh, well, fairly quiet. I mean, it is a week of central banks, so a lot going on. But today, uh, well, we get the NAHB housing market index for the United States uh, and also New Zealand's uh, PSI, Performance of Services Index, this morning. Uh, actually, that's the first bit of data, first cab off the rank this morning. Uh, previously, 47.8, so it's contracting. Uh, is it going to get into positive territory? I mean, it, New Zealand's not faring too well, it's fair to say. 
Uh, no, and we do get um, Q2 GDP figures on Thursday, I think, from, from yeah. New Zealand. So they'll provide a, a reasonable update for the state of the economy there. All right, we'll leave it there. Short but sweet, but it is a busy week ahead, so get yourselves ready for it. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow morning for now. Thanks, Tapas. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And Sky is going to join me tomorrow morning. Uh, so hope you can join me too. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.